It's Spencer Hughes. Welcome to Hughes from the Heart. Thanks a lot for being here, my friends. This podcast is all about things related to mindfulness, minimalism, meditation, the law of attraction, prosperity, thinking, the placebo effect, and fascinating guests as well, like the one we have for this episode. You're in for a real treat. If you like what you hear, please support the premium content on Patreon by joining at patreon.com slash Spencer Hughes. All that information is available in the show notes, as well as other ways to support the podcast. Thanks, my friends, and I hope you enjoy this episode of Hughes from the Heart. And our guest we're very privileged to have right now is Dr. Patrick Porter, an award-winning author and speaker. He's devoted his career to neuroscience, something that I find very fascinating, and I'm trying to learn more about it all the time, and also uh, brainwave entrainment. He's the creator of BrainTap. You can find it at braintap.com. And he's emerged as a leader in the digital health and wellness field. And this is just a a growing field. It's very, very fascinating to me. BrainTap's digital tools and mind development apps use creative visualization and relaxation, biohacking techniques. These have made tremendous advances in helping mental, physical, and emotional health issues, which is something we're all tackling right now, especially during a pandemic. We're in a pandemic here, and this is something most of us have never lived through. And thankfully, we have people like Dr. Porter to help us through this. Dr. Porter, welcome, and thanks a lot for being with us. Well, thanks for having me here. It's good to be on the show. Well, it's a privilege. We have uh, six kids between us. We have four living at home. We have the youngest is 13 and she's in seventh grade, almost 13. She's in seventh grade and we have a high schooler as well. And just millions of people virtually overnight are having to help facilitate the education of their kids in this transition of surviving school, something that we all kind of took for granted, didn't we? I mean, before the pandemic, you know, kids always complained about school and certain teachers and too much homework, too many essays they had to write and things. But this is something that none of us have really ever seen, right? Right. There's very few parents have been trained to be teachers, and now they're thrust into that uh, that, that part of their lives that are taking up a major part of their, their everyday interactions with their children. And how are people coping? How are parents and kids and teachers coping from what you see as a doctor studying neuroscience? Are we doing pretty well considering that, you know, it's kind of a trial run, trial by fire, as, as they say, for, for all of us? Yeah, I think I think it's all depending on how people take it. I mean, some people are taking it very seriously and they have a lot of structure. And I think those are the people that are doing better than others. People kind of let it go and see how it plays out. It's not working too well for them. So it's kind of a flip side of the other. You've got to, because their their children are used to structure. And if they don't have that structure, of course, kids will be kids. They're they're thinking this is the same as a weekend. So they're not really, you know, buckling down. And we we have some tips that we've taught some people over the times, and it's worked pretty well for them to get their brains right into learning mode. Yeah, and that's what I want to touch on with you, because one thing that I notice, and my kids are very, very good students. They're all excellent students. And it's something that, that, is just normal human behavior. And that is when you're in kind of a more relaxed environment like your house or your bedroom or your kitchen, there tends to be less formality. There tends to be just the way kids will act with a teacher on Skype or on Zoom versus being in the classroom. And that's got to be a big challenge. And I'm sure teachers are having a lot of heartache over that because they don't, they can't really command the same level of presence, can they? When they're when the kids are right there and the students are right there in front of them, sitting in desks and they're all facing forward. Now you have kids in their PJs and they're you know they're texting their friends in one hand and typing with the other and kind of paying attention and, oh, the breakfast is ready, the waffles just popped out of the toaster. It seems like this wouldn't necessarily be an ideal way for kids to get an education, in my mind anyway, but it's what we've got, and we've got to somehow make it work. 
Right. I think the, the parents that have actually set aside a place where school was going to take place, away from the TV and other distractions, even the pets. I mean, you have to get all those distractions are going to cause the, their, the student's mind to be distracted. And, of course, we all know what happens even with things on online. I mean, you can get sucked away into the um, social media black holes very easily. Well, even younger kids can get pulled away by their, their cats or dogs or, you know, whatever. So there's ways we can, we can set up the brain to, to learn better. But it has to be a, a family situation, you know, where everyone's communicating and going through it because, like you said, no one's been through this. So it's, it's a matter of, uh, and, and I tried to homeschool once when I was on a book tour, and it was a very hard job. We got through it, but it was very difficult. Well, that's the thing, too, is how are parents able to do this? This is what's really amazing to me is that I, we, we both used to work, my wife and myself, I work um, a lot of hours outside of the house, so she takes the, the, the bulk of all this responsibility. But let's say for the sake of argument, she was having to work, too, as many couples have to do. They're struggling to make ends meet as it is, right? So I, I just, I can't even imagine how parents are doing this when they have, when you have the older kids, you can kind of hope you have faith in them to to be responsible and to buckle down, kind of like when you leave them at home by themselves. You know, you go out on a date or a movie or something or go out with friends or an anniversary dinner. The kids have to kind of buckle up and, and take care of the house. But what about all the parents that can't be home with their kids? I mean, especially the younger kids. I don't know how they're making it, Doctor. Right. I, I think that we'll only find that out once this is all over because that is a that is a big question. And I don't – one parent at least has to take the responsibility of being there maybe every other day. And so that means that uh, you have to ask your boss, or if you're in business for yourself, you've got to take time away. I mean, we've been very fortunate with our staff. We've let them stay home with their children while they're doing it in work, but a lot of places that's not allowed, you know, so I don't know how they're dealing with it. But you have to set priorities and set boundaries, and there might be some difficulty there. Now, let's start from the beginning. The alarm clocks go off for the kids and the parents. The teachers are probably up hours before that, getting, you know, everything ready for Zoom and everything to go live. What are some steps that parents and students can take to make this an optimal uh, situation for everybody? What are some of the things we can work on to make uh, the home a, a good, productive learning environment? Right. There's some things you need to do and some things you have to stop doing. Number one, don't ever turn on the TV before a student starts to learn because that kind of hijacks their awareness. The TV becomes a passive way of learning. and It can be used for good or for bad. The first thing we always recommend people do is get into brain prep. Brain prep is doing some form of uh, physical activity um, where you might, you might have them. If you don't know what that is, go to, go to YouTube, get some children exercises for the age group that you have. Get their brain going. Once the brain gets involved and wakes up, we need to get that brain out of sleep mode and actually set structure so you do this every day. So the brain starts going, hey, this is my time for learning. And then if we can identify what the peak times are for learning outside of when they have to be on Zoom with their teachers, then those are the times that you have them read their books or do whatever they need to do that's their own individual learning. Everyone has their own timing, but it's always best to do the most you can first thing in the morning, not wait. Don't put it off till it's a good time that day, but get started, push through what you need to do, and then if you're going to take some time off, take it off in the afternoon. That's actually true for adults as well with their day. If they can do problem solving in the morning, they're going to have a much more of their brain power available to them to do those things. And take breaks and celebrate victories. Don't push just because they finish one thing, say, okay, now it's time for the next. You've got to give the – we live in a reward mechanism. This, the dopamine, which is unfortunately that neurotransmitter for addiction, 
yeah. also be used for its uh, reward mechanism, those reward pathways. We need that, that data boy. Now, they're used to getting in the classroom. You know, if they raise their hand, they answer a question, or they get the praise from their fellow students or from their teacher, they're not getting that now. So the parent has to give them those, in psychology, what we call strokes. You know, they've got to be told, hey, you're doing a good job. But if they're off track or off target, there needs to be not, you know, physical consequences, but there needs to be consequences and say, hey, here's what we're going to do. Here's the reward for the day. What is, what is it you want to do today and say, when we finish this, this, and this, so that they start organizing in their conscious awareness, this causes their neurology to start working with the, with the process instead of trying to avoid it. You know, uh, children by nature are going to try to avoid doing, doing things because they're not in the environment where they're used to learning. So the, the setting is so important. You know, get away from where they might normally watch TV or play and set up some kind of structured environment where they can say, this is where I'm going to learn. Just like they go to school, we need that in the, in the home. Now, one thing I remember, and I think we all have memories of this from childhood, is, you know, Mom, Dad, you're, you're cramping my style. Step away a little bit. You know you know what I mean? Like when your parents would pick you up from school, they you'd have them pick you up at the yeah. park, you know, because you're too embarrassed to have your yeah. father or mother pick you up. Should parents keep a, a distance, kind of, and do their own thing? Uh, I notice that I try to, with our uh, almost 13-year-old daughter, usually I'm at work, but the, the day off that I have when I am home, you know, I try to be off in the distance or cooking breakfast or doing something that's not going to be distracting, but I don't want to be a, kind of a helicopter parent is there a danger in that too where parents should kind of be maybe in their own den or office doing their own thing or maybe even stepping outside of the house for a little bit is that helpful for the kids i think for the right children like in, in my case we have two grandchildren uh sophia who's uh, 10 years old you could put her in a room she'd do all her work and come out and show you it's all done and she doesn't want you to be there but eli who's eight years old if you're not there with him you know kind of coaching him through the process you're not going to get anything done because he's he'd rather go throw the football around or go run and go do something. So I think it depends on the child, but you should give them as much space as you can because we want to teach them to become participatory in the learning process. And it's going to that way when they go back to school, they're going to do even better than teaching them bad habits. You know where they they don't engage. You know we want them to be engaging. I think it's the more you can let them on their own and they do it, that's better. But there are some kids that just aren't ready for that. They're not. They don't have the mentality for it. Sure, and you 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 recommend something that's very important. Parents should really be doing this anyway, and that is having kind of emotional check ins with their kids. Is it easier to take that for granted now that we are with our kids more than ever? Is it easier? Is it harder? Are parents kind of taking it for granted that the kids are at home, so I don't need to check in with them as much as when they're gone out of the house for five, six, seven, eight hours a day? Yes, I think that's exactly what's happening, and I, I think the main thing is. If you can give it back to the child in a way that you say, what would you like to do about this? What would you do if that happened? Don't, don't threaten them, and do, but get them to start thinking for themselves. That's better than, you know, forcing them. If you, if you let them become part of the solution, usually they will become part of the solution. But if you're telling them or talking down to them or telling them that they might be not that smart or that they, they never stay organized, I would, I would, in those ways, I'd say, you know what? What would we need to do to make you understand this better? What would you need me to do instead of telling them they're stupid or telling them uh, if they're not engaging, say, if, if we need to get this done so you can go out and play, what do, you, what do you need me to do to help you to get there? And one thing we always tell people, you can never argue with your own information. So if you can get the, the children to say it, they're usually better about that when they know that they're part of the solution instead of focusing always on the problem. 
I know technology is a big part of all this. And thankfully, I mean, I don't know how we would do this otherwise. I think to myself, what if this pandemic happened in the 1950s or 60s or even 80s when I was growing up in the 70s and 80s? But we do have Zoom. We do have Skype. Thankfully, we have the technology to connect ourselves better than ever. You and I are doing an interview. Um, I'm in uh, Western Washington. What part of the country are you in? Yeah, I'm across the country. I'm in Newburn, North Carolina, which is on the uh, on the ocean here. Wow. So we're we're about as far away from each other as we can be in this country, and it, it, we're able to do this, but there are limitations. I live in the woods. We're on five acres in the beautiful woods of Mason County, Washington, and I'm telling you right now, I'm not exaggerating too much when I say there's 48 hamsters spinning on wheels just to keep this broadcast going right now because I'm using every last bit of, of satellite that I can grab to be able to pull something like this off, but it's difficult. We only have two kids working at home for school. Luckily, they don't do their work at the same time, but my goodness, um, this is a drain on technology too, right? Not everybody lives in Seattle or San Francisco and has endless internet. I mean, it's a real struggle when the kids, if they were at the same time trying to access the internet and broadband, there's no such thing as a, a fiber or anything where we live right now. We're, we're, we're dependent on satellite technology, which is very antiquated in my opinion. Is that adding a, a different level of stress for parents too? That you know, everyone assumes that everyone has great internet in this country, and they don't. Oh yeah, they're having that's one of the bigger stressors here in North Carolina. Is that, and we live in a small town. We should have good internet, but uh, they're saying that over fifty percent of the children in the in the schools that my grandkids go to, they're not even able to access their Zooms. Yeah, so it's, it's like hit and miss every day. So I mean, we're we're there, but we're not quite there yet. So you know, as they as they get better connectivity, then I'm sure this is going to be a better solution. Here's one for you, and I was dying to ask you this, and I don't know if you talk about this much, and I know there's all sorts of opinions on this. It runs the gamut from people who are incredibly opposed to people who say, just let them be comfortable. What's your personal opinion on kids waking up, going to Zoom classes in their PJs, you know, in their, their fuzzy little outfits and their fuzzy shoes. And is, it, is that good to be comfortable at home, kind of in a nurturing environment, or is it the exact opposite where it might encourage them to be, you know, to kind of slack off more and be a little too comfortable in, in, in their studies? What do you think? Right. We've seen that structure and prioritizing your day is so important. If you don't have a distinction between sleeping, relaxing, and schoolwork, is gonna, you're going to blur those lines. What we've seen is when people prepare, that's why I was talking about brain crap. Part of it is getting dressed for the day, getting ready. This is What would you wear if you were in, in front of those people? You should be wearing that same thing when you're on Zoom with them. The, you know, and, but, I mean, everybody's different. But, I mean, most people that are more creative, the creative types, I don't think it's going to hurt them at all. But the logical kids, like I was talking about, the, that's the two differences between my grandkids. Um, Sophie would never dream of doing that. She would get she gets dressed up like she's even though she's ten years old you'd think she's a little CEO you know <laughs> Eli would love to Eli likes to go to sleep with his tomorrow clothes on because he doesn't like to get dressed I mean it's <laughs> like you know so, so there's different and I think that what they what they found with Eli just with our own experience was when we when when my my wife goes over on Thursdays she makes sure she does everything that I'm saying here they get up they do their little exercise they do stretching they go outside they do a little calisthenics. To get them ready to go, so they have to get dressed up. You know, get out in the sunlight, turn on their brain. You know, I think, the, and if people aren't doing that and they're having some difficulty, just try that one thing, and you're going to see there's a big difference in the way they approach the day. It's just like in business. They say, dress for the job you want, not the job you have. 
you know, right. the same thing's true with children. I'm an optimist to a fault. I don't see this going on forever. I mean, I know they're working on a vaccine. I know things will normalize. They always do. And we don't ever remember when things normalize. We always think kind of in panic mode and survival mode right. and fight or flight mode. And then we look back and we go, yeah, you remember that time when we struggled? You were struggling with cancer and now you're a cancer survivor. And you remember all those times when you, you thought you were going to go through a divorce and a dark time in your relationship and you guys made it through? We don't tend to remember that we bounce back more than not. Do you? How long term do you see this this transition of working? I mean, do you think maybe just one more school season? Do you think the next uh, semester we're going to figure this out and kids are going to get back into brick-and-mortar classrooms again universally? How do you see this going? Yeah, I th- I'm i also an optimistic optimist by default. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe that, you know, what they're going to find is just like we're finding in parochial schools right now, there's, there's not a big uptick in what's going on for the children. But it's, it's one of those things that we have to be careful and I think that once they see, as they do these different testings, uh, hopefully we'll get through this and, you know, we'll see it. And I, I believe that in January, actually, the next semester, we should start seeing more and more schools coming online. Because what's going to happen is those children that are falling behind that you talked about, Yes. what are we going to do about those? I mean, we can't have a whole generation of kids not keeping up because they're not finishing up their schoolwork and, and their parents aren't able to do this. I mean, what if... Like you said, if you have two parents that have to work just to survive or they only have one parent and that one parent has to work, well, school, they can't just turn on the TV or they can't just turn on the computer and babysit the kid. So I think that it's necessity is going to promote this. I mean, we're, we're going to find a way to make this work, and I think it's going to come from the parents who are seeing it's not working for them. Now, the parents that it's working for might be loving this. You know, this could be a great thing. But I think majority of people, from what, what I'm hearing out there, is majority of people are not, this isn't working for them because it's, one, it's changed their whole lifestyle because now they become school teachers and they don't have time for a second job. You know, they, it's, it's interfering with everything. So I think, it's, I think we're going to see in January or the next semester that things are going to change unless something, you know, we don't know what's going to happen, I guess, here you know, if everything keeps going, trending the way that it is, I think we're going to see that. Well, our guest has been Dr. Patrick Porter, PhD, award-winning author and speaker who's devoted his career to neuroscience and brainwave entrainment. And uh, doctor, I'd love to talk with you again sometime. Thanks so much for being with us. I, I know it was longer than I said it would be, so I know you're very busy with a lot of people wanting to talk with you. So it, it was a pleasure and an honor. And thanks for all the great information. I'm sure our listeners are going to be enriched by all the information you provided. Well, thank you very much. And I want people to check out your website for more information and some fascinating stuff at braintap.com, braintap.com. Thank you, doctor. I'm Spencer Hughes, thanking you for being here on Hughes from the Heart. Again, if you liked what you heard on the free podcast, please come over and support the premium content at patreon.com slash Spencer Hughes. Patreon.com slash Spencer Hughes and other ways to support the podcast available in the show notes. I'll talk to you real soon. Much love to all of you. This is Hughes from the Heart.